Okay, let me try that again. Good morning. <laughs> Sorry, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, one of the things that if you're here week in and week out, you're used to me saying next is I'm, I'm Pastor Adam. I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. You're used to hearing me saying then is thank you. Uh, and one of the reasons I do that is kind of the heart of this series. I want to thank you for being here. Uh, one of the things that I just kind of assume, I make the assumption, is that if you're here, it's because at some level you desire to grow in your relationship with God. Uh, whether you're here and you're a person who's a little skeptical about who God is, whether you're here and you're a person who's maybe uh, pushing back or struggling or hurting, or whether you're here and you're just excited, I believe that you have make this time to be here because you want to grow at some, some level. Uh, so I appreciate that. Thank you. There's a lot of other things you could be doing on a beautiful Sunday morning uh, in football season, right? There's a lot of other things, uh, places where you could be. So thanks for being here. With that said, uh, we are in a series on growth, on how does this church view growth? How does this church kind of say, okay, we assume we want to grow. What are we doing to make sure that it's intentional? It doesn't just happen by accident. We don't just drift into it, but it's intentional. If you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I'm going to throw, help you out a little bit so you don't need to look in your um, concordance or, you know, grab your smartphone too. 2 Timothy is in the New Testament. That's the teachings that are kind of post-Jesus, kind of past Jesus. 2 Timothy lands between books 1 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and a little smaller books. You'll see a bigger book, Hebrews, and just back up a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this verse is if you are doing our reading plan. Our reading plan looks like this. This is the journal, but there's also just a pamphlet to plan. Uh, we are on page 33, by the way, for this morning. If you don't have one, grab one. They're in the foyer. But if you're doing our reading plan, you read these verses this week. These are some of the verses you would have read that went with last week's teaching on um, how important it is to be reading the Bible, studying the Bible, engaging at some level personally with the Bible. That said, look at verse 15. Now, I acknowledge this picks up in the middle of a sentence. I apologize for that. Those of you who um, get, you know, don't really like that, I understand. We're going to come back to the beginning part of the sentence later. But for now, let's read this. Verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That, again, captures the heart of what we talked about last week. The holy scriptures. A child can understand them. Infancy. I mean, that's a word. I mean, it's a young child can understand. And then they make us wise for what? Salvation through faith in Jesus. So again, it's so important to engage the Bible, engage it. Take it in the end of verse 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, literally spoken by God through his instruments who have written it. God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the result, verse 17, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So last week we talked out and said, okay, how does a person grow? How do we grow? And we as a church are saying, listen, it starts with personal devotions, putting on a calendar, my engagement with the word of God. Now, one of the things I just want to clarify, I go back through and listen to my messages most weeks. And there's probably no person in this room that's a bigger critic of me than myself. And so I always go back and listen. What did I, I said something last week that I just want to clarify with this statement. As we talk about personal devotion, we talk about how important it is to read the Bible. I just want to come back and just make sure I clarified something. Encountering the Bible isn't all that's involved in knowing God. 
Okay, I, I listen to myself as we go, my goodness, a person could walk out of here thinking there's only one way to know God, and that's read the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of ways to know God. Uh, there's a lot of ways. And those of us that struggle with reading, I struggled with reading for a lot of years. So how, what, how does that then apply to me? How can I do that? Well, there's, there's a, it's just, here's, here's what I'd say reading the Bible really is. Um, there's a lot of ways to get to know God, yet I won't get to know him without it. It's a start. Here's the thing I want to make sure to communicate. Sometimes when we start talk about reading plans and personal devotions, why I make this statement, encountering the Bible isn't all that's involved, because sometimes I do this just to check it off in my day. I read my Bible, but I've never really met God. So again, that's what I'm trying to say. I just want to clarify from last week. But again, it's where we start in the Bible. Now, with that said, so we talked about personal devotion. We talked about practical teaching last week. Very, very engaged with the Bible. If you had my journey in the Christian faith, when I came to know Jesus, just a few years into my journey, I began to realize, my goodness, I think God's calling me to some kind of ministry. And even I began to study and process. And if you would have asked me in that journey, even when I became a student ministry pastor, if you had said to me, Adam, how does a person grow? Adam, how do you grow? I would have given you two answers. Practically one, the Bible. What we talked about last week, read the Bible and get engaged with practical teaching, cognitive learning. That's what I would have talked about. The next two on the list, I wouldn't have hardly even mentioned. But what I've come and what I've realized through my life, my growth as a person, my growth as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a child of God, I've come to realize that relationships, in my opinion, and I'm not going to go and say they're more important than engaging the Bible, but what I've come to learn, they might define the process more than any other growth mechanism that we could engage, human relationship. Now, as I think about that, I think about my life. I tell you to think about your life. If you picture yourself at the end of your life and looking back through your life, what is it that matters the most to you? Is it not the people in your life? When you're facing death or you've walked with someone else dying, is it not the relationships as you look back through life with your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, a close friend? That's what means the most to us. And I think that equally is very powerful then as we use relationships in our personal growth. Again, last week we talked personal devotion. Now, personal devotion, we're talking about reading the Bible in that, but... but you could put fasting in there. You could put um, disciplines in, in observing the Sabbath and quiet and rest. There's a lot of things you could put in personal devotion. It's not just Bible reading, though Bible reading is what we talk about. Practical teaching. They're the two we talked about last week. Now, this is what we're going to talk about this morning, relationships. These are the mechanisms that we believe as a church that we are going to intentionally engage to help us grow. Relationships, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Next one is serving, and now the, the final one is circumstances, and I put a, a line through that, not because it's not important. Matter of fact, I believe most of you and most of your stories about growing, circumstances played a very pivotal role. The reality why we put a line through it is because it's a little outside of our control. I didn't plan to tear my Achilles heel last February. It was not on my to-do list. It was not in my, gee, how can I grow as a Christian? Well, I know. Let's go through tearing my Achilles and a major surgery. And I think that'd be a lot. That'd really help me. We, we, it's kind of outside of our control. But what we have learned as a church, though we can't control that, 
what I've learned in my own journey through a number of different circumstances in life is the personal devotion, engaging with practical teaching, relationships, and serving. Those four, if I'm doing that through my tough circumstances, ultimately is where growth happens. So that's why we put a line through that, though we don't want to um, ignore it. Now, with that said, I'm going to play a video for you here in just a minute. It's, um, it's going to be the guy on screen talking. His name is Ed Dobson. He, he comes, he wrote a book, Seeing Through the Fog. He was a pastor in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's where my wife grew up, so I kind of took interest to that just because um, she's referenced this church and knows of this church. It's one of the larger churches in that area, multiple thousands of people. Uh, He was a pastor there for 15 years and when he was diagnosed with ALS. Now, most of us know ALS as the ice bucket challenge. I mean, that's most of us in this room have probably done it. Uh, I did it. Very begrudgingly, I did it. I didn't really want to do it, but I did it. But as I did it, I thought, what is ALS really all about? So what it did for me is it kind of spurred me, and I read Ed's book. Um, Ed was diagnosed. He was basically told, you've got three years to live. That's it, at most. ALS is a brutal, the more I read it, it it's one of those diseases where there's no cure, and tomorrow never gets better. In fact, you're guaranteed that tomorrow will be worse than today. There's no hope. There's no, wow. So it is, and it took Ed by surprise. It took the wind out of his sails as a pastor for 15 years, a well-known figure, a published author. And so he writes. And one of the things he writes about is he writes about relationships. And one of the things he says is he, and you're going to watch it in a minute, and I want to mention this too. If any of you do right now media, we have that as a church. We subscribe to that. His videos that go along with this book are on that site. So I just want to give a little plug for that. If you want to watch all of them, I think there's six of them, about 10, 12 minutes each. I'm going to show a clip from the one called Forgiveness. I want you to really listen to what he says. As he talks about, as a pastor now who is dying in his 50s, death is right around the corner. As a pastor, he's used to speaking well. By the time you see him in his video, he's having a hard time with his speech because ALS, he loses losing his speech. But he writes about looking back through his life and begins to realize what was important in life. And one of them was how he processed and interact with people. So like you do, I want you to watch this video, just kind of catch us a minute, minute and a half of Ed's thoughts, kind of as he reflects on that. I had done a lot of funerals when I was at Calvary. I would sit down with the family, and if they had a good relationship, they would talk on and on and on and on. If they had a bad relationship, there'd be silence. So I decided when I died, I didn't want people to be silent. I sat down one day and wrote a list of everybody I knew I had offended. And I began working my way through the list. Some people I knew in the relationship I was right and they were wrong. But I finally decided relationship is way more important than who's right or who's wrong. I 
I think that's... Did you hear him there? Don't miss that sentence. He sat down, and then when you read his book, you're going to read, if you would read his book, you read encounters where he was right and they were wrong. And he said, I still chose to go back to those people to work through the process of extending and receiving forgiveness. Because, did you hear his sentence? This is coming from a dying man who has spent his years immersed in scripture and teaching others. And as he's looking and reflecting, he's saying, I have learned, I finally decided that relationship is way more important than who's right and who's wrong. Relationship. Relationship. Now, one of the things I think about Ed as I, as I think about him, uh, facing hardship or death, and I'll have this up on the screen in just a minute. There it is. Facing hardship or death has the ability to focus life on what matters. Now, I've learned that in my short life and the things I've faced compared to death is minimal. But when you really face hardship and death like Ed has, you begin to realize what really matters, and I think relationship is on that list. Now, if you look with me at 2 Timothy, in that same passage that we read this week, I wasn't going to preach on this passage this week, I'm very honest. Uh, if you, when you get to your reading plan, you're going to read some incredible verses on relationship, incredible verses. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of them. They were the, that was actually the section we were going to do. That we laid this series out a long time back. We were going to do that verse. And the more I reflected on these verses that I read this week, I thought we, it's all of our four components are right here. And I want you to see this. Verse 10 starts out this way. Now, this is again written to a young man, a young pastor, written by an older pastor, Paul, who's in jail facing death. It's a personal letter. When you really read this and, and you begin to see this, this older man who's like a father to this younger man pour his heart out. It's unbelievable. This younger man was, was a young pastor, probably very similar in age to me, a little bit younger by the time 2 Timothy was written. And he was a young man who be, I think was wrestling with the timidity it's scary to stand on a stage in front of people who are twice and three times your age and to talk and to preach and to make mistakes in front of those people and to blow it into faith persecution and hardship and to all this wrapped up, Timothy was a man who was a little timid. And so Paul is writing to encourage him to say, listen, I want the church of Jesus Christ to go on far past my life. So here's some things I want you to know. So verse 10 comes along. Now, this is in the context, if you remember in our Practical Atheist series, in verse 1 of chapter 3 and on through, we learned all about how in the end times, in the times we're even living in, people are going to just be all about themselves, and they're going to go to church, and they're going to be very spiritual, but they're going to deny the very power that God offers us. In that context, it goes down through and talks about kind of what happens in the home and, and how they kind of work their way into the home. And then verse 10 comes. It's kind of a transition. He says, you, however, saying you, Timothy, you, you know all about my teaching. This next phrase linked up. We talked about teaching last week. Practically, you know all about my teaching. And then look at the next thing he says, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. Then he tags on, you've, you've basically seen, Timothy, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, the persecution that I endured. Yet, Timothy, please know, he says, Timothy, this is a personal letter that the Lord rescued me from all of them. So he says, Timothy, you've seen my life. 
I think this is our first inclination of how important relationships are in this passage is you've not just seen me teach, you've seen me live. Now, the next verse, the next verse, this is so interesting to me. So he talks about the pressure. He talks about the hardship. This next verse gives a promise. You know, we love promises in the Bible. We love when God, we can hang on to a promise. This is a promise that's made to us that I don't think most of us really want to hang on to. This isn't one that most of us put on an index card and stick, on our, stick down in our car or up by, the, up by the, um, the sink or in the refrigerator. But here it is. It's a promise. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? If you have an NIV Bible, what's it say? Persecuted. Ooh, that's warm and fuzzy. Verse 13. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then there's a relationship principle that comes out in verse 14. But before I mention it, I just want to talk about one. This, I think this is no mistake, that this statement is here in the context of relationship. Remember vividly, there's a quote that has always stuck in my mind. It was made by a man by the name of Dunn Gordy. He came to the school that I was at where I was we're learning the Bible. He came as a missionary. His, when he'd go out into the mission field, he'd go out to the unreached people groups is how he termed it. So he'd go out to places all over the world that did not have a Bible in their language, people who wouldn't even know who Jesus was, who just had no concept of any of that. Now, if you know anyone who's lived in that field of work, it can be a dangerous and hard work. And you go into parts of the world that at times uh, aren't like our Western world. And so he faced a lot of hardship, and he was standing now as a retired missionary. Here's a man, he, I don't know how old he was at the time, I'm guessing somewhere around 70, standing on stage talking to a bunch of 19, 20 to 25-year-old students in the Western world. And he made this statement reflecting back on his life. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to let you read it first. You're going to chuckle, right? It's the same thing I did. When he said it, it and it's always stuck with me. He says, the problem with Christians today is that no one wants to kill them anymore. Now, I read that, I'm thinking, what in the world? And I chuckled. But I think he understood what Paul understood, and he understood what Jesus understood about relationship. When Jesus was going to the cross, his worst and darkest hour came the night he was arrested. And he asked his buddies, he said, come pray with me. Come pray with me. His three closest friends, he said, come pray with me. And they come together in the garden, and he kneels down, and he prays. This can be found in John 17. And you read his prayer. Now, his buddies fall asleep, and he has to go back to them repeatedly to wake them up and says, guys, hang with me. His prayer is recorded in John 17, and when he's there praying, he prays for his buddies that are sleeping, have abandoned him, and he prays for us. And ultimately, his prayer is, God, I've come to this earth to live on mission. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. I've come to lay my life down so that I could represent you to the world and people could come to know you through Jesus Christ, through me. God, I'm praying now. If you read it, he says, I'm going to pray that the mission continues. I, the, those that you've given me, I still have here with me, he says. And they're going to continue to live in this world and be on mission to Make my name, make your name known. And you know what the strategy he prays for in this? Don't miss this. He prays for unity. Christian community, Christian unity, 
A lot of times we think of it as an add-on nice thing that we have in the church, but it is the foundation of what God understood outreach to be. He said, if you, if you really want to reach the world on mission, be unified. That's why his heart grieves when a church splits or when we begin to fight over silly things that don't really matter in light of eternity. Or we begin to gossip or slander or, or begin to say things against one another and we begin to lose sight of the mission. God says, no, I've prayed for unity to come together And that Christian community is a method of reaching this world. Now, here's the thing. Take this a step further. This is what Don Gordy was getting at. Jesus, right before that, in John chapter 15, when his buddies are, they're kind of, they're scared. They're like, my goodness, our world's falling apart. I thought we were going to usher in this kingdom. I thought I was going to sit up on a throne. I thought we were going to reign with power. And Jesus says, that's not going to happen. I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And they're freaked out, and he says, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. And then he says to them, he says to all of them, don't be surprised. Same thing Paul says in John 15. He says, don't be surprised. They're going to want to kill you. And the reason they're going to want to kill you is because they wanted to kill me first. And a student is never above their master, says in John 15. So I think he understood that you're going to go out and be unified because it's part of the strategy of reaching people. I think he was also praying, be unified because you're going to need it. And I think what Don Gordy was getting at is when you are on mission, and when I go out into this world, number one, I'm a sinner. So I'm going to make some silly, foolish, and downright arrogant mistakes at times, and I'm going to hurt myself. Number two is I wrestle with what I am as a sinner and the mess that I am, and then I try and walk out on mission in that that mess, and I try and reach in in imperfect ways a world all around me that's lost, and I am on mission. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get beat up for doing what's right. It is hard to go against the flow. When you look at 1 Timothy 3 and all that the world is, and when you walk out and say there is a resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and it can be yours, and it's not found through your hard work and your discipline, but through Jesus It's not a popular message. And when you tell people to die to themselves and be empty of yourselves, you say, you cannot do it without Jesus. It's not a popular message, and you will face persecution. Now, here's where the church comes in. Here's what I believe where community happens. What happens when you're beat up? Don't you want to run home? Don't you love to come home, those of you out, outside of the home all day, and come in and just take your shoes off and prop up and say, here's a group of people that embrace me. Let's sit around the table and eat together. That's what Don Gordy was getting. I think that's what Jesus, I think that's what Paul understands. When we are on mission together, Christian community is a natural res- result of that. If you've ever talked to anyone on the battlefield, a soldier, I've never been there. I have high respect for those that have, high respect. And every time I meet someone, I just stop and I say, thank you. But when you talk to them, not to overdramatize this, when you talk to them, what do they tell you about their comrades? Do you ever hear them talk about the brotherhood or the sisterhood that they had? Why? Why? Because they're out there taking bullets. And when you're taking a bullet, suddenly all the peripheral stuff doesn't matter. And if we're not in this together, someone's going to die. 
Now, to a lesser degree, those of you who've played sports, you've had this in the sports field. When you step out on that battlefield, whether it's a soccer field or court or a football field, you are in it together and it forms a camaraderie. Or maybe some of you have been on the mission field together. You've gone out to a foreign mission field. You're into a culture that's not your own, so you don't feel at home. What do you do? You link in with the people that you were with. And I hear story upon story of Christians who have been on the mission field together, who come home and say, man, we developed a tight relationship because you were out there together on mission. So I think what Paul's saying is, listen, listen, you're going to be persecuted. Relationship's important. Now, the next verse, look at verse 14 and 15. He says, but as for you, Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So see what he's saying? He's saying, Timothy, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Now what's the reason? Look at verse, look at the verse there. Because, what's the reason he gives? Don't give up, Timothy. Because you know who you learned it from. One of the greatest principles that I've learned the hard way is truth works best when it comes through relationship. Paul says, Timothy, you know me. You've watched my life lived. I didn't just preach and talk. You saw it lived out. Timothy, you see in other parts of this letter, he says, Timothy, you know your mother and your grandmother who lived with you and gave you this faith. You know them. You watched it lived out. Sometimes as a church, we want to capitalize on the two we talked about last week, personal devotion and practical teaching. And if we leave this one out, we cripple ourselves. We hurt people. And ultimately, the faith is not supported and people give up because we're not speaking to people through the context of relationship. This is why I love, I just want to give a plug for our children's ministry. Those of you who are in our children's ministry, maybe you've come, you've been serving already this morning and those that are down there serving right now, I love, love, love the emphasis. The emphasis, first and foremost, is to address the parent. And it goes right with this verse. How from infancy you knew the scriptures. So our church has said, listen, our children's ministry team says, listen, the person who puts the child to bed at night has far more influence in their life than we ever will here at the church. So we are kidding ourselves to step in and take their place. We must support them, not replace them. So that's the first thing. And the second thing our children's ministry staff says is let's build supporting relationships here. And there are children's workers. Some of you in this room have given up every single Sunday because the, the vision has been cast to say, listen, build relationship, build relationship, build relationship. And a relationship doesn't happen by teaching here and there. It happens by weekly involvement. I applaud, I pray for regularly. I pray for this church. One of the groups I pray for regularly is those of you who have said, I've given up every Sunday for 11 months, because Rachel gives those who off through, and through some of the summer, to be here to build a relationship with a child. And then the third thing is now let's give them truth through the context of that relationship. It's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. The other place we do that is our life groups. And you've heard us talk a lot about life groups. And I thought, you know what? I could sit here and talk a little more about life groups. I thought, why not talk to people who are in it? 
So I know there's, um, I could have talked to a lot of you, had a lot of you up on stage, but there's, I asked Chris, I said, Chris, Chris is the pastor who oversees that. I said, hey, grab two people who, and I, man, he grabbed two great people who I think have really done this well in life group. It's just come on up and just talk about how life groups impacted them. So I'm going to ask Chris to come to the stage. I'm going to ask Ryan and Rose Mass, and you'll get to meet Ryan and Rose and uh, just hear from them about the impact that life group has made on their lives. All right. Well, um, relationships is something that I am passionate about. Uh, it's the way that God has wired me. If you don't know me well, um, it, it's something that I, I gain energy off of relationships, uh, interacting with people, connecting with people. And I guess the elders figured that out here and they said, well, since you're so passionate about people and relationships, why don't you be our life group pastor? So that's, I think, one of the reasons I ended up in the role that I am uh, in and uh, I'm excited to have this opportunity to talk about this with you, and I'm excited for this push. And one thing I want to express as we talk about life groups is I've heard some, not necessarily from inside this, uh, this building or this church, but from others that, you know, there's other ways to do this thing. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be life groups or care groups or small groups or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and I would just say this, we get that, we understand that. Relationships are organic. They kind of happen um, they kind of just happen. You connect with certain people, other people you don't connect with. Uh, but one of the things that we are, we are saying is we need to have an environment where we can help those relationships grow, that we can foster those relationships, that we can encourage the types of relationships that Pastor Adam was just mentioning. And we recognize that Life Groups is just a tool or maybe you could say a vehicle to encourage that. There are other ways that you can go about that. We could spend time talking about it, and I don't want to waste the time this morning. But it's, it's just simply a tool to encourage those deeper relationships and, and giving an environment and a place for them to happen. And so as I thought about that, I thought, well, let's talk to somebody that, that's in the midst of it, that's doing it. And I know these folks to my right, your left, uh, very well. Uh, Ryan and Rose, uh, I've actually been a part of a life group with them, and uh, but I'm going to allow them to just kind of to well uh, introduce yourselves, say hello, maybe just give a little bit about yourself and, and who you are. I'm Ryan Mast. Um, we have two boys, Dante and Tyler, and I'm a parts manager at Keller Brothers Ford. I'm Rose Mast, and. Um, I'm, for now, I'm a stay-at-home mom and maybe pursue other things in time to come, but for now, I'm stay-at-home. Very important role. (laughs) Um, So could you guys briefly describe for us your journey with Jesus? And we don't have time to go through all of your journey with Jesus uh, from beginning to end, but specifically, maybe you could focus on uh, the relationships that you've built and in those life groups and how God has used the different groups that you've been a part of uh, in your life. And uh, those, most of you, uh, I did just mention it, I was in a life group with them. Uh, so I'm asking them to be gracious in their answer here, knowing that I was part of a group with them. Uh, but yeah, if you could just talk about how those relationships have made a difference for you. Well, we've been through some things in our life, in our marriage and in our extended family. And just having a group of close people that we could go to and share with uh, just meant so much to us, and 
in return them loving us and caring us, they could just encourage us and walk with us through that. Yeah. Um, over the past uh, years of us going here, I think like 13 years or something, we've been a part of um, three different life groups um, other than the one that we're facilitating now. And each one of those has um, helped me to grow and just spoken into my life um, and taken a little something different away from each of those. And um, just, yeah, like the support um, that you get, it's kind of like having a, a support of a family, but um, without having to be related to those relationships. And sometimes that can be a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned family. I think about all the times that God talks about uh, us as families, as brothers and sisters. You see that language all throughout Scripture. Uh, we call him father. Uh, I call him father. You call him father. That makes us uh, brother and sister in Christ. And I, I think sometimes that's missed. We, we forget that, that we are that close, that we should be that close as family. So I'm glad that you use that word. Um, now, you have been facilitating a group for some time. Uh, if you were to go out there, there's tables out there. You've probably seen them. In case you were in a fog or in a daze this morning when you walked in, uh, hopefully you didn't trip over those tables. Those tables are out there. And if you were to look over the contents of what's on those tables, you would find that Ryan and Rose, are, their group is actually open and, and looking to receive uh, a few new couples or people, uh, even individuals, if that be the case. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, what, what motivated you to step out and lead a group? Because you were part of our group, or the group that I was a part of for a while, and then there came this time where you, you felt this push to, to facilitate a group, and what, what caused that? Um, we just felt God leading us to it. We felt like he was calling us to it. Um, and with our experiences in life, we just felt that uh, at some point God would use them through us to help somebody who may be going through similar things. Yeah, um, my passion for people and relationships is what um, pushed me. I'm not always the quickest person to jump when God says jump. Sometimes it takes a while. But um, just the awesome things that God does um, when I step out in faith, it's just like fireworks exploding in my life. He just takes it and just does big things. I'm so glad that you didn't answer. It was your terrible life group facilitator before that that made you step out. That, that makes me feel good. Um, one final question I have for you is uh, this has been something that Adam has just been building on this morning, talking about when we are on mission, uh, you know, we can get beat up uh, when we're on mission, when we're preaching the gospel, when we're proclaiming the gospel in our community, uh, when, we're, when we're sharing that with others, uh, we can take a beating sometimes. And I've found in my own life that it has broadened my desire to be in community. You know, as I'm stepping out in faith, it's broadened that uh, desire to connect with others, to, to pray with others, to, to share in that. So uh, maybe you could talk just a little bit about how you found uh, that happening in your own life, that, that broadening of that desire to be in community when you're living on mission for Jesus. Well, it's just been amazing to watch God and, and feel God working in our lives and he's been building relationships, and they turned into friendships. And uh, as you see and feel God working um, through yourself, you also see him working in your friends as well. And uh, you just want to see more of it and, and feel more of it. 
um, the, the song that we sang this morning, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters where you would call me and take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And I think that just um, sums it up so much for me. Like, you know, God called me to this and um, he just has, yeah, like taken it and just it exploded. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I mentioned this in first service, but, um, you know, you can be a bit nervous when you sign up for something like this because you don't know how things are going to go. You don't know what um, relationships you're going to find and if they're going to work well. Um, and um, God just took it, and it's his group, and it has just um, fit so well, and it's, it's just amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming up here and uh, being willing to uh, put yourself out there again, take another step of faith and sit up here in front of all these wonderful people. And uh, I just want to take a minute to pray for you guys and pray for our life groups in general. So, Father God, uh, Lord, we just come to you and praise you. We stand in all of you. Thank you for the fact that we can call you Father. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would take this thing of relationships uh, very, very seriously, uh, that we would be committed uh, not only to you, but to one another in walking with one another. I pray for Ryan and Rose specifically. I thank you for their faith. I thank you for their relationship with you. I pray for their marriage, uh, that you continue to strengthen it. Uh, For them as leaders, will you give them wisdom as they uh, walk with others? And Lord, for all the groups that have been forming and that are formed, uh, Lord, I pray for that strengthening and deepening of relationships, that there would be investments that are made there uh, that last through eternity. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Rose. Appreciate you guys. And they still have spots open for their group, so if you want to jump in there, there you go. There's a little plug for that. Um, I want to land this plane and uh, want to kind of do it with just making a few comments and wrap this up. Um, first thing, Chris kind of mentioned this, and I just want to reiterate this. Uh, Chris uses this language a lot. He talks about Legos. And I want to just state very clearly that life groups is simply a vehicle and a tool. Uh, it's not the answer, end-all, be-all. The end-all, be-all is healthy relationship. Why I say this is I learned a valuable lesson in Charlotte, North Carolina. When I, was a, when I was involved in a church plant there, in Charlotte, North Carolina, the first U.S. holiday we came to, the city emptied out. So a million people living there in the metropolitan area, and, and, and boom, gone. It was like a ghost town. And I began to understand why. It's because those southern cities like Charlotte, Atlanta, and some of the others down through there have grown largely from people from the north, like Buffalo, a lot of people in Charlotte from Buffalo, New York, saying, I had enough of the cold, I've had enough of the economy up here, so they come south. So in Charlotte, you don't have a lot of deep relational connection. Uh, So life groups become all the more important. But here in this area, guess what I've learned? There's some of you in this room, you can look around and you can see people who you've been close to in deep relationship with for over 20, 30, and 40 years. Very different from Charlotte. So why I want to say this stress of the vehicle, some of you, some of you don't need one more night out of your calendar to go meet with some more people. Your connectors, Chris, your connectors are filled up. We can only have 8 to 12 really close people in our lives. Beyond that, it's really not healthy and, and productive. So your connectors are full. So my challenge is some of you wouldn't be go plug into a life group. My challenge some of you would be start doing the relationships that you have with intentionality and do them well. And do them in a healthy way. 
uh, would be one challenge. Um, now, with that said, let me look at verse 17, and this kind of sums us up. I'd like to talk about service more, but I knew we wouldn't have the time this morning, so we can talk about serving another time. But the whole, this whole section ends, so that the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as we read and study and do relationships it's, and, and really dive into the word of God, it's ultimately so it produces a life of service. Now, here's how I'd sum this entire morning up with this statement. Now, I put it up in words, and this, is, this, was, <laughs> this was this week in my studies. I was scribbling and scribbling and scribbling. This is what came out. So some of you are going to go, oh, my goodness, I don't want to live in his head. Um, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so here it is. I put it on paper so you can write it down, and hopefully it makes sense to you. But it says this, you only know what you know by trying to live what you think you you know with the people who know you. You say, what? I know. Pray for the people in my life. Um, it says this, you only, know what, you only know what you know by trying to live what you think you know with the people who know you. You get what that's saying? If you look back at this passage, and Paul talks about in verse 10, the life that he's lived. He's lived the life um, of purpose, of faith, of patience. Now, how do you know you're a patient person? All of us have blind spots at one level or another. How do you know you're a patient person? You can say, well, I have read every verse in the Bible and patience there is, and I know all about patience. You probably do. You could say, I could say to you, okay, I've taken a full-blown semester course on nothing but patience. I can tell you all the books I've read and the videos I've watched and the teachings I've taken. I can tell you I know about patience. But does that mean I'm a patient person? No. How do I learn patience? How do I know that I'm patient? I live with people. I live with four little kids at home. I live with a spouse that I love. I live with a church, family. I live with Chris. Takes all the patience in the world right there, right? (laughs) Actually, it's reversed. It's actually the other way around. He's the one that's learned patience. But as you do life with people, that's what this is saying. You think you know. I mean, you might. And it's important to study and read and take in on patience. But you don't really know if I'm a, I don't really know if I'm a patient person until I've lived it out in relationship, in relationship with people who know me and have a relationship with me and who can say to me, Adam, man, <laughs> what's going on here? Can we talk about that? Do you see this? So it's so important to just, I think, walk and do life with people and serve with people who can watch you. And ultimately, I think growth is a result of that. Now, I want to close this thing down with this. Like I said, I just opened up. I believe with all my heart that you want to grow. That's why I stand on stage. That's why I don't stand here and try and guilt people in because I know you're coming and you're saying, I want to grow. Help me grow. You're coming to this church and help us. I believe that with all my heart. And I also know for fact that I want to help you grow. And the elders and leaders of this church have said, we are committed to the healthy growth of every person who engages with this church family. So you want to grow. We want you to grow. But I said this earlier. Here's one of the things I've come to a firm conviction on. And you know this too. You don't need me to tell you this. You don't drift there. You don't drift towards growth. It doesn't happen. So what I challenge you to do between last week and this week is let's engage the process of growth. Which of the four is it for you? 
I mean, maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to put on my calendar personal devotion time. Because one thing I've learned about calendars, when it gets on the calendar and I get the little reminder in my phone, I know I'm going to get it done. So maybe as you work on your calendar and set your calendar, don't just put the important appointments that you need to keep and what time you have to be at work, but put it on your calendar. Let's get real. Say, I am going four days a week to get up at blank time and spend time with God. Or I am going, before I go to bed, four days a week, I'm going to put it on my calendar. I'm going to make this happen. We don't drift there. We do it with intentionality. Or maybe for you, it's getting plugged in with a life group. Or maybe not even a life group, just going to the relationships you have in your life and saying, listen, guys, you know, we're close friends. Let's just start doing this thing with intentionality and let's make it happen. But let's make the most of every opportunity. My challenge to you is right now to purpose in your heart to recast your everyday moments into defining growth moments, God moments. If you just start and say, God, what do you want me to do with my day? What do you want me to do with my time? And see, a lot of us get so busy and we act thoughtlessly. Not, not bad, we just go through our day. For example, I've got football, and football makes life really, really busy right now. And it's just another thing. It's an everyday, it's just a, a moment that I go through. But what if I step back and every day I recast that to a defining moment? Why am I in football? Why do I coach it? It's because I've got two little boys who I love to death. And I want to be a dad who is there in their lives and connected with them. So when I go to football practice tomorrow night and I'm grumpy because I've had a long day and I've got to rush home and eat in half an hour and get everyone out the door and all the way over there to New Holland and recast that everyday moment to a defining moment. Adam, you're walking onto this field because you want a relationship with your boys. Or recast that everyday moment into, Adam, you are on mission and you hunger to see people come to know Jesus. And there are a lot of people in this football program that don't know Jesus So recast that everyday moment to say, I, it's on my calendar, I'm walking out, and I'm going to reach people with the message of Jesus. Recast the dinners that you cook for your family. Recast when your alarm clock goes off at 6 o'clock, and it goes off at 6 o'clock every day or 5 o'clock every day, and and it's it's just one of those moments that happens. Recast, you know why? I'm getting out of bed today to encounter the living creator God of the universe. Recast those everyday moments and say, God, what do you want me to do with my time? Be intentional. We don't drift there. Let's just pray together. Uh, Father God, again, I I praise you this morning and give you honor and glory. And as I watch that video, uh, Lord, this thought just keeps ringing in my head. Uh, Don't waste your life. Uh, Father, we want to be people that uh, have done well with the life that you've given us, have invested well with the breath that you've put in our lungs, the gifts that you've given us. And Father, we can get tied down, we get trapped uh, by the temptations, by the, the, the things of this world uh, that seem to become so important and we can miss the things that you've told us are the most important things. And uh, I think of all the times that I've hurt relationships with, with different, just different selfish tendencies and things I've done. And I think of all those that I've talked to that have had the same thing. And, Lord, I just pray that you would forgive us for that. Lord, help us to remember what is most important in life. Help us to care for one another, love one another uh, so deeply, uh, Lord, that it would, it would take over our calendars, the care and love uh, for one another. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.